Welcome to the Chesapeake Connect podcast. I'm Tom Hall. Chesapeake Connect is an annual learning trip that brings together leaders from around Baltimore to explore best practices and programs in a peer region. It's organized by the Baltimore Metropolitan Council, the Council of Governments serving Greater Baltimore. The council has organized trips to Cleveland, New Orleans, and Nashville in recent years. Today on the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we're talking about the Preakness. Last year, it was announced that the Preakness would be staying at Pimlico in northwest Baltimore City. This after a push to move the second leg of the Triple Crown to Laurel. Well, that push failed. Today on the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we're discussing the coalition that mobilized to keep the Preakness here in Baltimore and find out why the Preakness matters, both for Baltimore City and Harford County. I'm joined by Harford County Executive Barry Glassman. He's serving his second term as Harford County Executive. Prior to that, he served for 15 years in the Maryland General Assembly as both a delegate and a senator. County Executive Glassman is currently the vice chair of the Baltimore Metropolitan Council, and he has served on the board since 2015. He participated in the 2018 and the 2019 Chesapeake Connect programs. County Executive Barry Glassman, welcome to the podcast. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Tom. It's always good to be with you. I'm also joined by Delegate Tony Bridges. Delegate Bridges represents Baltimore City's 41st district in the Maryland House of Delegates. It's his first term. Prior to his time as an elected official, Delegate Bridges served as chief of staff to both the Maryland Transit Administration and the Governor's Office of Community Initiatives. Delegate Bridges was appointed to the board of the Baltimore Metropolitan Council in 2019, and he attended the 2019 Chesapeake Connect trip to Nashville. So, Delegate Bridges, thank you as well for joining us here on the Chesapeake Connect podcast. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you and and with the county executive. So, Delegate, let's start with you. You represent Park Heights, which is where the Preakness, of course, is run every year. Uh, at the Pimlico Racetrack. Talk about the history of the effort to move the Preakness from Baltimore. I mean, things really came to a head right before the 2020 General Assembly session. What was at stake if the race were, in fact, to be moved away from Baltimore? Yeah, that's a really good question, and and thank you for that. Um, You know, I I not only represent that area of the city, but I grew up in the Park Ice community. Uh, probably a few short blocks from where Pemlico is actually located. And for us, you know, just in the greater context of just thinking about Park Heights, that's about 1,700 acres of an area that really has seen, um, you know, uh, it's been underserved for a long time. Um, and it looked to continue in that direction if Pemlico Racecourse actually decided to relocate. And so for the community as as well as elected officials, there was a lot at stake. Um, In 2007, actually, the city had started a process to actually reinvigorate Park Heights and try to bring some life to the community by taking at least 65 acres of the community and redeveloping it for um, commercial as well as residential development which was huge for the Park Heights community. So if you think about it, that 65 acres that's, you know, in a major part of the Park Heights community. And if you think about Pemlico Racecourse, it's about 70 acres that if Pemlico Racecourse actually left and we no longer had the Preakness, 
That's 70 acres of vacant land in an area where we're talking about it's traditionally been underserved. And, you know, you got a lot of dilapidated housing. And at this point uh, or at this time, we were um, the city actually had acquired the 65 acres and was in the process of demolishing that land. So if Preakness moved, you would have 70 acres of vacant land and about 65 acres of vacant land, basically two blocks away from each other. And in our minds and the community minds, that just was was not acceptable. And so something had to be done to preserve not just the Preakness, but also make sure that the Preakness or anything that happened with Pimlico Racecourse was going to be woven into the fabric of the community and any redevelopment that was going to happen in the community. So it was really, a, a, a um, you know, just something that we, we wouldn't allow happen and needed to be done in order to make sure that re, we reinvigorated the Park Heights community um, uh, on both sides of, of Pimlico Racecourse. And County Executive Glassman, I mean, as Delegate Bridges has just said, I mean, Pimlico, extremely important to his district in Park Heights. But, you know, a lot of folks, I bet, look at this from the outside and they say, well, this it's just a one-day event, you know? So why was the fate of the Preakness such an important issue for you as Harford County Executive? Yeah, uh, Tom, as Delegate Bridges uh, indicated, uh, not only important for his community, but I'm sure when uh, I showed up at a lot of the hearings, folks were probably like, you know, why is County Executive Glassman here? Uh, but after spending a good time in the legislature, and uh, as you know, I, I grew up in, in Hartford County farming community, and although I was, uh, my father and I were sheep farmers by trade, uh, the horse industry uh, was quite significant, not only in Hartford County, but many of the suburban uh, counties that ring or are close to uh, the Pimlico location. In fact, uh, when, I, when I testified, I always reminded uh, everyone that really deputed testimony uh, was the last Maryland-bred horse uh, to uh, win the Preakness. And of course, he came from Harford County and he was uh, banned down there that morning uh, as a long shot uh, to win the Preakness. So uh, thoroughbred horse breeding has been so important uh, in the economic structure uh, of Maryland, I think sometimes a lot of folks, you know, forget that uh, it really is an economic powerhouse. Uh, we know at our last estimates that uh, we have we uh, really generate about seventy-eight million dollars in tax revenue, close to thirty thousand jobs, um, sixteen thousand horse farms, and, and so. Uh, it spreads out from grain to feed, the fencing, all those jobs that are associated with the breeding operations, the training operations uh, are, are important. They happen every day of the year, not only uh, during uh, Preakness week, uh, but also during the racing schedule during the rest of the year. Yeah, we're well, racing the, at Pimlico is maybe a one-day event, but horses don't eat just one day a week, that's for sure, or one day of the year. Um, so, Delegate Bridges, um, the race is going to stay here in Baltimore, but the deal that made that happen actually goes far beyond just keeping the second leg of the Triple Crown here in Baltimore. So tell us about that deal and what else it entailed. Yeah, it was, you know, something that, 
we were really hoping to get through uh, as the pandemic was beginning to unfold. And so, you know, it was it was really crucial for us to get everything involved in there that we needed, especially for the community. And so for me, uh, you know, Pimlico, it was important to keep Pimlico there, but it was even more important to make sure that whatever stayed became part of the community. And so the creative solutions that we we sort of came up with was to make sure that uh, as the track was redeveloped, there were also going to be some parcels of the land that are associated with the track that could also be used for redevelopment for the community. So there's a approximately, I believe, 40 acres outside of the track that will be used to create like private development deals so that you can do more than just, you know, have land at the property. Um, that land could actually be redeveloped. Uh, in addition, Sinai Hospital is pretty close to where the track is located. Sinai Hospital is going through an expansion. And so as they expand, um, you know, their expansion will be part of what we do with Pemlico Racecourse moving forward. Um, in addition to that, the race course is actually going to be more of a park because, uh, as you mentioned, Preakness is one day out of the year. And so what do you do with Pemlico Racecourse the other 364 days out of the year? Well, in the way that the uh, Preakness or, or Pemlico is going to be redeveloped, it'll actually be open and accessible for the community to use more of a public park um, than just an area where you know people travel and see a pretty race course throughout the year. And so the facility facility uh, will be more of a park so that, you know, there's sort of this, um, uh, I would say, an invisible barrier uh, sometimes between Northern Park Heights and Southern Park Heights based on where Pamlico Racecourse is located. But having it more of a park setting really opens it up uh, so that there's no real barrier between the northern part and, and the southern part of Park Heights. So uh, it, it really allows for the communities to come together, have private development. And in the way that the legislation was set up, there's something called Park Heights Renaissance, which is really the redevelopment tool uh, for the Park Heights community that will get additional funding to continue the redevelopment, sort of a quasi city agency. So it's more of uh, a redevelopment partner. Uh, and the city doesn't have to do everything on its own. So there was a lot that was put into this uh, legislation to make sure that the economic development for the entire community was really felt. And County Executive Glassman, um, it's not just this legislation isn't just about Park Heights. It's not just about redeveloping Pimlico. Talk about what the legislation does to help the horse racing industry across the state, not just in Harford County, even, but in other jurisdictions. Well, you know, as far as the horse breeding and, and, and Maryland was a little bit slow to come uh, to the gaming industry and slots and so forth. Since the Maryland bread account has been reestablished and reinvigorated, uh, Maryland breeding operations are kind of back uh, on the mend and growing as we see the numbers increase. So it will provide a, a, a venue for meats in addition to Laurel, but it provides a place uh, where breeders and trainers uh, can send their horses. Um, I'd also, uh, I think it's important that the horse industry also, uh, and, and many Maryland counties in the region as a regional approach, um, we, you know, we do economic a lot, uh, development a lot in our counties and, and do redevelopment. Uh, but uh, when we think about uh, the Pimlico bill, uh, bill and what was accomplished, it really was partially about redeveloping uh, 
the Park Heights area and Pimlico. Uh, and, and when dealing with this, these kind of opportunities do not come along very often. And it is very difficult to transform and uplift uh, communities when you think about opening them up, redeveloping, uh, providing housing, jobs. And I think without that centerpiece, uh, it would have been a missed opportunity uh, for a generation for that area. So, um, you know, they, they talk about this bill be, uh, being a long shot, and I always tied it back to deputed testimony being a long shot. Uh, but for the community, uh, for Park Heights, Baltimore, and the region, uh, I think losing uh, the race there at Preakness, the historical significance of that and the community, it really would have been a missed opportunity for a long time. And so uh, that, that I think is just part of the story that we're saving the race, but also giving that whole area a chance at rebirth. And Delegate Bridges, um, you talked about the long-term benefits that this legislation creates for your district. Um, you know, the physical home of Pimlico and how that's going to be transformed. Uh, partners like Sinai Hospital and, and others uh, are going to be utilizing this space. Um, this is your first term in elected office in the General Assembly. Um, what did this experience teach you about coalition building and, you know, coming to consensus about uh, a major piece of legislation like this? Yeah, it taught me a lot. I'll say that, uh, you know, coalition building isn't just, uh, you know, making sure that the people in the community uh, you're representing are, are on board. But it's also, you know, and just thinking about the General Assembly, there are 141 members of the Maryland General Assembly. You've got the House side and you've got the Senate side. You've got to have a majority of folks that are on your side to make sure that this legislation uh, passes. And so uh, as much as, you know, people use the phrase of sausage making, this really was a saucing, sausage making type of activity where we had to come together and really talk about, you know, how everyone benefits, not just Baltimore City, um, not just Prince George's County, not just Hartford. Like, how does everyone get benefit out of this? And so it took some going back and forth to figure out, like, what's best, uh, not just for the city, uh, but for uh, the rest of the state. And at the same time, you know, just thinking back to the community, like this was a huge economic engine uh, and sort of an underground economic engine for the Park Heights community. I mean, you've got folks that basically around the time of Preakness use that as an opportunity to really make money, whether it's you know, parking cars on their lawn at $20, $40 a car, or, you know, back in my time, we used to, you know, take coolers into the, um, the, the Preakness. And so you had individuals like myself who at a younger age would like take those coolers from folks that needed to walk to the Preakness to make sure that, you know, we got paid as, uh, to take their coolers there for them. And so, you know, there was a lot to be lost. And so bringing that up, you know, and talking to individuals about what, gets lost, if the Preakness gets lost in the community, um, helped, to, helped us to really build that coalition around the community to make sure that they understood what was going to be lost and bringing them to Annapolis to be advocates for the legislation, I think was also key to bringing everybody else on board. So it was a lot that happened in that 90 days to make sure that this legislation uh, actually passed. 
And Barry Glassman, uh, Tony Bridges as a delegate comes to this through the prism of a legislator, uh, as he mentioned, 141 members of the General Assembly. In your position as the county executive, uh, seems to me that bipartisanship and regional cooperation are very easy to talk about, but a lot harder to make happen in actuality. Um, but it does seem to me that the effort to keep the Preakness here in Baltimore is a really tangible example uh, of doing that. I mean, so talk about what it took to bring people together across the political and jurisdictional lines to make this legislation happen uh, from your perspective as an executive. Well, one of the first things, and I, I, have to, I think we have to, to mention Alan Rifkin and some of the folks that worked, um, you know, from my prior experience in the House and the Senate, I can remember the battles that the horsemen, uh, the breeders and owners and the track owners, uh, we could never get them hardly on the same page on a number of uh, racing bills and gaming bills over the year. So I have to say it was nothing short of a miracle also to get those three sometimes uh, competing and uh, ideologically different entities together uh, in this. And I kind of thought early on, too, if, if they can get together in the industry uh, for this proposal, then uh, even Barry Glassman as a Republican county executive uh, can get involved and uh, of course, with the big eight counties, uh, I'm the only Republican, but, you know, we talk each week. We all deal with planning and economic development. And, and I know personally as a county executive, you kind of begin to appreciate regionalism and how working together to solve problems uh, can really work. And that, you know, you can set aside the partisan differences you may have uh particularly when it comes to economic development and job creation. Uh, and so uh, I, I think it was pretty easy. And I have to say, really, my learning more about the BMC, uh, serving in the Big Eight, uh, of course, president of, uh, of the president of the Maryland Association of Counties, it gave me a better appreciation of the things that uh, we have to do to look outside our own jurisdiction uh, for the state and for a place like Baltimore City, which is a regional hub uh, for Maryland. So I, I have to give my hats off to, to those organizations also for teaching me a lot about regionalism and, and what we've got to do to solve some of these bigger issues. Yeah, and, and County Executive, I wonder, I would assume that, um, you know, because you were in the legislature for 15 years prior to your election as County Executive in Hartford County, that that experience, you know, helped inform your approach to advocating for this bill. I mean, you, you've got the perspective of both the legislative and the executive positions. I, I would imagine that helps. Do you think that that's the case? It did help. And, you know, it doesn't hurt when you can walk into the Senate hearing or House hearing and and see folks that you served with um, and with the new speaker and, and the Senate president. And a lot of folks over the years that I've worked with, uh, particularly even it's funny, I really spent a lot of time in the legislature on agricultural preservation, both land preservation and making sure agriculture can, agriculture can survive as a business. So uh, most horse farms are in preservation and land preservation. And so tying in that planning aspect with the other suburban counties is important too. We all 
we all kind of have that in common. Each of us have great land preservation programs uh, to some degree that have horse and agricultural operations. So you look for those commonalities to, to bring you together. Uh, and then uh, each of us has our own experience to, to bring to the legislature. And Delegate Bridges, uh, obviously the, the legislation and the ultimate deal to keep the Preakness here in Baltimore were crafted in late 2019, but the bill actually passed right during the early days of the pandemic. So COVID-19 has you know, just affected everybody's lives in a million different ways. Um, I wonder, what was that like? How close did it come to upending the work uh, on this legislation to get Pimlico, uh, you know, uh, rooted uh, forever in uh, here in Baltimore. I mean, that had to have been there had, had to have been some tense moments, I would imagine. Oh, there were some very <laughs> tense moments. <laughs> I think uh, you know we were all on pins and needles to make sure that as we were hearing more and more about COVID nineteen, that we can get this legislation passed uh, in a timely manner. Uh, by both houses. And so, you know, I, I got to give a lot of kudos also to uh, J- the mayor, Mayor Jack Young, um, Delegate Sandy Rosenberg, who worked on this for a while. Um, you know, it was uh, the, the new city council president who was a delegate at the time, Nick Mosby. I mean, there were a lot of folks that were working behind the scenes to try and really push this, um, whether it was on the Senate side or on the House side, just making sure that uh, you know, everything that we needed to do, uh, if we needed to bring folks to Baltimore to actually see the Preakness while we were in session or, or to see the track, um, to make sure that the committees were well aware of everything that needed to happen. There was a lot of work that happened, um, you know, leading up to uh, session actually shutting down early to make sure that this was a priority and that I actually crossed the finish line. So sure, sure. I just got to give a lot of kudos to those other folks that really help to push this to make it happen. Yeah, it's just been an extraordinary and unprecedented time for everybody. And County Executive Glassman, um, how did COVID-19 uh, affect your work, not just on this legislation, but, you know, in your uh, position as leading uh, Harford County as part of one of the, the big eight? Well, it, it has been a year like no other. I can tell you from from budgeting to, to the COVID response uh, with testing and and you know, closing down and the governor issued a lot of executive orders that have to be administered and interpreted at the local level. Uh, And so I still speak weekly with the other uh, big eight county executives. We we share plans with COVID and uh, talk about uh, particularly how we're going to spend the CARES funding, uh, the grant programs to our businesses and communities. And, And so it has been a trying year. I think probably one of the toughest years I've ever had in public service. Uh, right now, we're uh, pushing through the vaccine process and rolling out uh, the vaccinations, at, whether at mass vac sites or with our local health departments. And uh, and and we're catching up. You know, we're still in a race against the uh, virus with the variants, and um, so. It really has kind of preoccupied, I think, everything uh, that we kind of had on the map for this year. Uh, But uh, we're coming out on the other side. And uh, right now we're looking at uh, the shot in the arm that the American Rescue Plan gave us that that President Biden uh, sent to locals and municipalities and the state here in Maryland, uh, which will help us, I think, get to the other side 
uh, without any tremendous budgetary uh, uh, downfalls in our budgets. Uh, and so right now we're, we're at four days a week with our local school system uh, and our numbers are pretty steady, although a little high still. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're just hoping that we get a sense of normalcy and uh, get most of our vaccines done by the end of June and get some herd immunity out there. So life may begin to return to somewhat normal by late summer. Yeah, well, as they say, from your mouth to God's ears. And uh, <laughs> Delegate Tony Bridges, um, this year's race, the 2021 Preakness, will actually be the first one with spectators uh, since the Racing and Community Redevelopment Act became law. They're going to allow about 10,000 people uh, at the race. Um, you are no longer carting coolers full of drinks for folks. Um, but this year, what if, what about the event uh, are you in particular looking forward to? Yeah, you know, I'm just really excited that we'll actually be able to have the event and have spectators. The, I think, um, you know, this year has taught us a lot. And I think the Speaker of the House was really good at making sure that, you know, we were following the proper protocols, making sure that we had masks and were spaced out and I think that uh, with Pemlico and, and the Preakness, it'll be the same thing. We've learned a lot, but I think between the community and, and having folks actually on site uh, at the Preakness this year, we, we are all excited because this is the beginning of really, I think, that renaissance that people are looking for. Now that the legislation is passed and we're moving forward and, and you know, the development can finally happen. It's just amazing that, um, you know, we, we've had the kind of year that we've had and we're still moving forward on so many fronts with the redevelopment. So I'm, I'm, I'm just excited that people will actually be at Pimlico Race Course this year. And I think the community is looking forward to it as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, people really are excited and it's nice to have something to be excited about. County Executive, uh, Executive Glassman, how about you? Uh, what are you most excited about for this year's Preakness in particular? Well, we're, I'm excited that it's back on schedule and that uh, slowly but surely, like as we've done here, I think it's a, it was a wise decision to get some spectators. It's outside and uh, gradually as we loosen the protocols, we can do more. But I think it's a good, it's a good sign. And uh, uh, when everyone sees those horses out there on, on Preakness Day, it'll be great. And hey, listen, I also give a, a plug for uh, the Black Eyed Susan events uh, the day before uh, for uh, breast cancer uh, funds. And we see some of the Phillies run the day before. If you're not able to to get a ticket on Preakness Day, I, I always tell folks the day before is, is a beautiful day there at the track also. Yep, that's a good point. And uh, Delegate Bridges, uh, as we wrap things up here, um, let's talk about the Chesapeake Connect trips. Uh, you went on the Chesapeake Connect trip to Nashville, uh, what are some of the standout moments for you about that experience? Yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting experience. But, you know, what, what, unfortunately, what stands out the most is the fact that it was cut very short. And it was during the time when um, Congressman Elijah Cummins had just passed. And so I think I was down there. Or maybe, maybe we were both down there for probably two days um, and or, or maybe a day and a half. And we had to come back to make sure that we were. Uh, here for the funeral for uh, Congressman Cummins. And I think what stands out the most is probably making sure that uh, we were all on the same page about, um, you know, when we got back or how we got back. And and uh, just the folks that I had an opportunity 
which I didn't really have the opportunity before to just sit and talk with the different county execs, um, you know, about their counties and, you know, how they see Baltimore City and, and you know, just building those connections moving forward, which allows me to be able to have conversations more or less about Preakness and other things that are of importance, not just to Baltimore City, but to the other counties. And so I really, you know, Chesapeake Connect really, uh, you know, helped make that connection uh, for me with those other uh, elected officials on the things that, that we all want to see happen for the constituents that we serve. Sure. And County Executive Glassman, uh, you are something of a frequent flyer when it comes to Chesapeake Connect trips. You've been on all three of them. Uh, what are the moments from these trips that, you know, have stuck out to you and have, have really helped shape your work as a county executive? Well, you know, Tom, part of my problem always is, too, that I'm a policy wonk. So, uh These trips always have not only the ability to go out and visit and actually see what uh, policy, whether it's in New Orleans or Nashville, has achieved, but we have some great presentations and actual, we look at the policies that were adopted uh, to make these things happen. And, uh, you know, we're in New Orleans, we got to visit uh, charter schools and schools that had been rebuilt from Katrina uh, and that we're so successful uh, that we look at the possibilities of what that could mean to Baltimore City or other jurisdictions uh, that are struggling. You know, in Nashville, we got to see how they uh, adopted their tourism model. Uh, when we think about what we need to do to bring folks back to Maryland, to Baltimore, to the Preakness, uh, what a no better example than the booming area of Nashville to actually get to meet with their tourist uh, bureau. Uh, I always love every time we have uh, someone in planning and zoning, the actual planning of where they want to preserve historic portions of their cities, where they, where, you know, where they want to build a new thing. So I, I always almost go just to hear about the planning uh, aspect of it, how they how they map it out particularly preserving all their heritage yet growing and bringing in additional folks and jobs. So, uh, and we get to share that with business community members, other delegates and senators, um, some of my fellow county executives. So it's, uh, it's a great opportunity. That's Harford County Executive Barry Glassman. Thanks for your time, sir. I appreciate it and always enjoy talking to you. It's great being with you. Take care and be safe. And Delegate Tony Bridges, he represents the 41st District in the Maryland House of Delegates. Delegate, always a pleasure as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. The Chesapeake Connect podcast is produced by the Baltimore Metropolitan Council with assistance from WYPR. We'd like you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcasting app you use and give us a rating if you're so inclined. It helps other listeners find out about our show. The Baltimore Metropolitan Council works collaboratively with our region's elected executives to identify mutual interests and to develop collaborative strategies and plans and programs that improve our quality of life and economic vitality. BMC's member jurisdictions include Baltimore City and Anne Arundel, Baltimore, Carroll, Harford, Howard, and Queen Anne's counties. For more information, please visit baltometro.org. Our producer is Mark Gunnery. 
And on our next episode of the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we'll talk about Baltimore's role in the race to develop and distribute the COVID-19 vaccine with Tom Sandowski. He's the Vice Chancellor for Economic Development at the University of Maryland and Dr. Bruce Jarrell, the president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Until then, I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for connecting. <laughs>